Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello and welcome to the episode. Today I'm speaking with one of our previous guests, Charlotte Blosand from True Energy in Denmark. I spoke to Charlotte uh, a few years ago, I think it was, uh, on episode number eight of Talking New Energy, so quite a long time ago. And since then, True Energy has been on a, uh, a journey, developing, growing, changing ownership. And I'm really looking forward to talking with Charlotte and hearing about uh, how True Energy has grown, what's worked, what's some of the challenges, uh, war stories to share with other people going on similar journeys. So hello, Charlotte. Welcome back. Thanks a lot, John, for inviting me back. Well, uh, some of our listeners probably didn't listen to episode eight of the uh, of the first series. So for those of you that, uh, those of our listeners that, that don't know True Energy, can you start with a very brief introduction to, to who you are now? And then we may look at some of the things that have changed over the last few years. Yes. So basically we produce an app that integrates to electrical vehicles. And with the app, we automatically postpone the charging of the cars to the hours where electricity is cheapest and most climate friendly. And on top of that, we aggregate all the EV batteries and provide that as a demand response balancing service to the TSO. Okay. And one of the changes from three years ago is when we spoke uh, originally, True Energy was an energy retailer, if I remember right. So you were not only offering the smart charging, you were offering the tariff as well. You don't do that anymore. No, that's true. That was kind of to prove the concept. And after mm. a couple of years, when we had the number, a uh, couple of hundreds of uh, like, uh, electricity customers who were also using our app for smart charging and who were earning uh, what we call cable discount because we use their cars for uh, balancing the grid, mm. then we decided, well, the concept was proven, so now we needed to scale. And the when you want to scale, you also want to focus. So we want to focus on our um, uh, technology development. And then we handed over the electricity customers to one of our partners. Okay. So now are you are you selling that capability to energy, other energy retailers? Is that your model? That Yes, exactly. We enter into a partnership model. So mm-hmm. we have other electricity resellers in Denmark, Norway, and Sweden as our partners. So they provide our app to their customers in a rescan version. So it includes their logo and their electricity customers feel like it's an app from their electricity reseller. And um, the money we earn from the TSO, we pay that to our partners so the partners can include that as a discount on the utility bills to their customers. Okay, so you yourselves are aggregating that flexibility across exactly. all of the different electric vehicles, and then you're, you have a commercial relationship with the TSO to sell that flexibility. Exactly. Yeah. But you have, one, one EV is not enough to provide flexibility. You need many, many more. So that is exactly the aggregator role that we do. Yeah. Um, and 
Uh, you're now looking beyond electric vehicles at other flexible loads in the home? Uh, electrical vehicles are still very much at our core. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also do provide the smart home services. So uh, via the platform IFTTT, we do integrate to a lot of different household appliances. So you can start your dishwasher, for instance, automatically during the night whenever electricity prices are lowest or carbon emission is lowest. Hmm. Um, and for EV and PV owners in Denmark, on top of doing the smart charge based on the spot prices, we can also make sure that if their solar panels produce more electricity than their household consumes, we can direct that electricity to the car instead of to the grid. And uh, that is uh, financial beneficial for the private household. So maximizing the self-consumption of the the electricity from PV. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Now, not only have you been on this journey from being an electricity retailer yourself to the reselling model, and broadening a bit from EVs to other devices as well. Um, you've changed ownership as well. Do you want to tell us about uh, about that and what that was like and why you chose to do that? Yes. Um, well, a couple of years ago, we started raising money for our next funding round. And uh, then we came across Landis and Gear from Switzerland. And the pretty fast, it seemed like the perfect match they are in the same industry. They produce meters and other intelligent grid appliances. So they understood our products and services. They were not a competitor, but they could definitely see the potential. From our perspective, it was super interesting that they are a global organization, hence they have a global sales organization that could allow us easier access to many more markets. Mm. Um, of course, it takes time to prepare the entry of every market, but still it's much faster way for us to scale than to just go one market by the next one. Yeah. When you think back to three years ago, uh, electricity retailer in Denmark, hundreds of customers uh, only in Denmark, only doing smart charging of EVs. How clear was your strategy at that time, Charlotte? Was Do you feel the route you've followed since that time has been perfectly matched to the strategy you have? Did you have have a strategy at that time or how clear was it? Have you changed direction from the direction you thought you'd go? Um, We definitely had a strategy. And um, I would say the, the good thing is that we have stick to the strategy, but you would say on the negative side, we have not been able to accomplish at all all the goals we had. Mm. Maybe that is typical for a startup. You want to do so much. You want to change the world in a day. So you grow up, you, be, you become more realistic. And um, that is also why I say EVs are at our very core of our heart and our services. The smart home solutions we have and the PV solutions we have there are thinner Whereas the EV solutions we have is um, fundamental for our strategy and that is uh, very, very advanced. So we um, 
we have I mean, we stick to the strategy about um, making it easier for the end user to uh, use electricity whenever it's cheapest or most climate friendly. Yeah, that is uh, always at at our hearts and still is. Um, where the um, the speed of uh, our development and market entry uh, was, uh, we we had hoped that it would be faster. Um, yeah. And what, looking back at the lessons you've learned, why it's taken longer, um, I'm quite interested to maybe unpick one or two things for, for yeah, you maybe it's, as you say, that real world understanding and you have these great ambitions and you learn and it's things always take longer, never quicker. But what specifically, looking back, do you think is did take longer or has proven to be harder than you thought? Um, I I think um, one thing that is really different in this market from, for instance, the technology market is the level of uh, regulation mm. and the the lack of speed that regulation is updated because everybody agrees and, and knows that the kind of services that we are providing will be part of the grid in the future. But the regulation is based on something that were in the market years and years ago. Yeah. So we are engaged in a lot of dialogues and uh, ad, um, advising authorities, but it still takes a lot of time to actually update the regulation to existing opportunities. I'm just surprised by the by the lack of speed. Yeah, because you're you're an IT or tech person by heart, aren't you, Charlotte? Exactly. Not, not an energy person. <laughs> yeah. Um, and is that speed being? in Denmark or has it been in other countries you've tried to enter or a combination of both that you've been you found the regulatory changes are taking too long um, I I guess it's it's all over the place it's um, it's uh, mm, there's, there's definitely some open-minded individuals and also institutions that have embraced what we are coming with and want to enter into partnerships and, and want to try out things. And that is extremely important for us and has been of great help. And also in authorities, there are very forward-looking people. So I would say, you know, it's in general that the system is just slow and it, I understand that it has to be because the grid is not something you can change from one day to the other. Mm. Uh, sometimes I'm like, okay, does it really have to take this long time? Why is that little <laughs> detail taking? And, and it's it, in Denmark, but also of course borders that's that's taking even more time. And is there what what have you learned about trying to speed up that change, or can you influence that change? Is it a change? Is that the speed you just have to live with? Or is the advice you could give to other companies like yourself about, okay, I've learned that actually doing it this way or focusing on that or it's relationships, or do you just have to accept the speed is the speed? Um, yeah, I would have to pick, say pick your fights because you can spend all your time in uh, workshops and meetings and hearings and whatever with authorities. They have so much time. Mm. But as a startup, you you need to focus on your customers. So, so we have participated in some, and then we have engaged with the industry organization. And I'm in the board there, but then we have the industry organization working for us instead of doing it ourselves. Yeah. 
so yeah. so so you could say that is one advice and and I would also say it has been super important for us to connect with uh open minded people and we have found them in many different place, places and they've helped us a lot and 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 one um good connection in the Danish TSO can open the door in the Norwegian one and it, it's a it's also a closed industry you could say everybody knows yeah. each other yeah okay so it's closed but it's important to get in there and then use those connections yeah yeah exactly that was actually also one of the benefits of starting out as an electricity reseller that immediately took us inside the industry we were not mm. just you know an upcoming IT company there's so many of them but being actually certified reseller then you have the, the right stamp and you are one of us even though you're new you're one of us and we invite you right inside the industry yeah it's a i really like that approach because it's easy to be a tech company knocking on the door of energy retailers and saying hey look what i can do for you but if you can show you've been there and done it then i am did that was that important in making conversations with electricity retailers easier did it help you to establish those partnerships to get in the door in norway and sweden definitely there's no question because we knew by heart what we were talking about so i know what a utility bill looks like i know the kind of questions that the utility customers call about because i've been there myself so now we could say you know um when the they ask about this and that you can say this and we will suggest you use this um benefit as something you can use in your campaigns etc so yes i think it um it helped that we spoke the same language definitely yeah i've seen an, a number of companies do that you could look at octopus in the uk with their own um using crack and their own billing software um or th- yeah their own IT system and they're now selling Kraken commercially to other energy retailers in other markets but it's a much stronger position for them because they can they can show how they have used it as an energy retailer in the UK um I can't think of many many examples but I can think of a small number of examples have done what you've done um and what about getting into the door with other energy retailers I imagine you your growth your scalability is dependent on the number of partnerships and the speed in which those retailers manage to sell or engage their customers with with your software so how looking forward what's your views on that scalability both in the number of partners and the speed of adoption yeah you're totally right we have a scalable model so the more partners we win the bigger our potential is so we constantly work on entering into more partnerships in the countries where we already present and we also plan to enter into new countries and then when we have established a relationship with the partner we also try to support them in their um, marketing efforts or uh, whatever kind of activities they have or in their communication with the users their customer support etc because um it, it can be a complex product mm. to understand and explain especially when people start asking questions so um, 
we want to help our partners to succeed. And you're not you're not the only company offering this type of product or capability. You might have been early and one of the first. So when let's say you're approaching electric electricity retailer Y, um, what's the I'm interested on what the bigger challenge is. This may be the wrong question, but is it demonstrating the need to have software that helps their customers to smartly charge their EVs? Or is it choosing your product over someone else's product? Or is it something else in that decision making to say, yep, I'll sign up with True Energy? Yeah, that's actually something that has changed since we talked last time. And it's also different from market to market. When we started out four years ago, we had to just explain what are we doing, why are we doing, why does it make sense? Mm. There were very little competitors that you just mentioned. But when we entered into Norway, they are all driving EVs already and all the partners we talked to, they knew and understood everything from the beginning. And it was more a discussion about if our products was the one that best fitted their needs and and how to relate it to their existing app. Um, so very different kind of uh, questions and communications. Obviously, the, the Danish market is, is, is moving in the same direction as the Norwegian is, but it's interesting to learn from the markets there are more ahead. Mm. And what about other markets beyond that? You mentioned Denmark, your home market, Norway, Sweden, um, with being part of Landis and Gear, does that accelerate how quickly you can go to other countries or how big are your ambitions or what's next? Um, because they're present in like 30 markets, it's, uh, it uh, establishes some uh, easier interest to, to more markets. But also, at the same time, we have to adapt the app every time we enter into a new market, the mm. new prices, new carbon forecast, etc., etc. So it's not that we want to go into the, the global market immediately. Uh, also, I mean, the penetration of EVs are very different from market to market. So... Um, so it, it, it makes it easier and faster to what we could have accomplished just ourselves um, every time it's a, it's a little bit of work. Yeah, yeah. It's not just selling exactly the same product and marketing it in a different country. Yeah. No, for the flexibility service, it's different from TSO to TSO. Yeah. So every time we have to live up to... Uh, national requirements and we have to be approved in that specific country and that does now, take time yeah yeah it, it takes a lot of time so yeah. they're working on nordic standards but again not <laughs> approved yet but but of course we like national no sorry we like a uh, regional or even global standards mm. uh, that would be so beneficial for us for the scaling charlotte how much of the how much of that still you in terms of you know, approaching a new electricity retailer, it's your relationship, it's you doing that, and the rest of the organization is still really a, an IT organization or a tech organization. Or are you building or have you built sort of a business development function in your organization, a sales team doing that? Will you? Um, yeah, I'm very happy, like, 
three years ago we were 10 people and now we are closer to 30 so we mm-hmm. are uh, i have many more colleagues and i'm very happy for that and of course we still have a heavy uh, developer organization but i also do have uh, um, commercial colleagues so uh, normally i would it would be our head of uh, sales or our we also have a north no norwegian country manager that will approach the partners mm. and uh, a um, couple of uh, product developers so um, i have quite a few also uh, who are helping out on the commercial part so um, that is extremely important uh, for our growth also yeah and on the the developer team the tech part of the business there's a lot of competition for talent in that that area um has that been tough or have you been able to find and attract and, and retain that tech talent um it has uh, been difficult for very many years to find the skilled developers so i would say in this matter it was an advantage to come from the technology industry so i think you know higher number two was um, in india and poland so from the very beginning we set up this offshore uh, team so most of our developers are from Poland or India, and then we have a few in Denmark. So yeah. it, it works very, very, very well. And they're all used to it before because that's the way the world is now. Yeah. So um, so I think, uh, I mean, we have some, some, some good places to, to source new talent and, and we can offer some interesting purpose. That's really one of our great advantages Everybody want to make the world a better place. And that is actually what we are working for every day, trying to accelerate the transition to more climate-friendly energy. Yeah. Yeah. And that gives you a a differentiation in that uh, attracting talent. Exactly. And I I guess that's another advantage of coming from a tech background is you had that experience of attracting developers and developers. I don't know if going to Poland and India was new to you or you'd done that before. Yeah, well, not these countries, but I've worked with people from other countries. So I was used to setting up remote teams. Yeah. I was used to working the agile way where all the, uh, that all developers mostly work in. So I understand the language and I, I could um, also hire a project manager who who's, has now taken over on that part. So um, I think that was an important advantage hmm. and maybe also you know the industry would look at us like an IT company and like an energy company so I like to say that um, we use the technology to provide energy solutions hmm. yeah what about the the grid services part so that uh, the aggregator role we touched on earlier where you're aggregating the EV flexibility and selling that to the TSO uh, that that isn't well. That does require some deep energy industry domain knowledge. Uh, so is that if you've got your developer developer team on one hand, you've got your commercial team that you described um, talking with the customers, finding new customers. Have you had to build a third team about that uh, that really understands TSOs and the services they need? Um, 
Yeah, our development work is divided into five, six different teams, and, mm. and one of them is specified in understanding the, the, the balancing services of the grid. And, and, and they're really hardcore uh, uh, engineers that understand the, the grid also and electricity. And um, so, uh, of course, the developers have a di different profiles, and some of them know more and understand more about the electricity than others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thinking back to our discussion a few years ago, Charlotte, one of the things you mentioned then, one of the challenges was the the lack of standards in terms of communicating with different electric vehicles and different OEMs. So um, I'm interested to hear, and my guess is that is still a big challenge, whether it's uh, OEMs or using if they said then that to try and communicate with dishwashers and so on. But yeah, how, is that, how have you found that over the last three years? As hard as it was before, or has there been any progress in, in that area? Yeah, it. Um, I almost forgot, you know, that this is uh, one of the obstacles, but we're working with it every day. It's just, you know, part of our world. So <laughs> yeah. I would, would say now there are more standards and <clears throat> more especially charges are complying to standards. Um, but it's not that it's uh, one integration that fits all, not at all. So there's still things in this area that could make it easier for us. And, and it's still, uh, we spend quite a lot of resources uh, doing the integration and considering what way is the best one. And there are some third party uh, tools out there. So, some of them work well, some do not realize, and it always takes time to realize what is the best choice in this area. So, um, short, I would say, you know, there are more protocols now and, and, and more standards, uh, but in five years, it's, it's going to be even easier. So the direction is still not easy, but you've learned to live with it, and the direction is moving in the right direction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and how it's a slightly detailed point that those in the electric vehicle charging sector will will know and understand. But are you interfacing with the chargers more often, or are you going direct to the car in terms of the timing of the charging? We're actually doing both mm. um, because some car brands will provide more data and allow for faster communication. Others don't, and in this case, we will have to rely on the chargers instead. So uh, we are integrating to both cars and chargers and, and trying to combine all the data in order to minimize the manual input. Where Just do you to make it, you know, hmm. make it specific. I mean, if we can get the data from the car about how much is the battery already charged, let's say it's a... It's at 40% and, and we get that data automatically. Then we will not have to ask the user how much is it charged. Then we will know it's charged 40%. And if we have a max setting the user set at 80, then we can plan the charging from 40 to 80% without asking the user anything. Yeah. If we don't get the data, then we will have to ask how much is it already charged. And yeah. then we have to. So it's about trying to reduce the dependency on the user and making it as automatic as possible. And directionally, do you think the 
balance of going through the charger or going to the car directly? Do you think the car will more and more you will be able to go directly to the car in the future? Uh, yes, I would say that is the expectation we have now. Mm-hmm. Was some years ago it was only Tesla, to be honest, that was very mature and advanced, and most of the other car manufacturers were occupied with just producing cars. Yeah. But lately, more and more have picked up and have produced also more uh, advanced uh, APIs or apps for their cars and that will allow us also to use more of the car integration. Mm-hmm. And going forward, Charlotte, you mentioned the, the EV being the, the deep area of focus and the smart home and other flexible loads in the home being thin at the moment. You're active in there, but they're not your core focus. Is that going to stay the case in the next three to five years or do you see yourself doing a lot more with with heat pumps for example or stationary batteries or do you think you'll stay primarily a smart ev charging uh, company five years you know that's an eternity for me but (laughs) (laughs) for the the foreseeable future uh, um, i think we will focus on the evs um, it's because uh, there's enough to go for the growth in that market is so big yeah exactly And is that what you're hearing from your electricity retailer partners as well? Are they, is that what they want? Is it the EVs that's dominating their thinking ahead of other flexible loads in the home? Um, well, they always want everything. Um, mm. So I, I would imagine on uh, also a direction of more integration between different providers of different uh, services. That's also, you could say, a a prominent uh, trend mm-hmm. uh, because it's it's not simple to provide flexibility based on heating pumps, for instance, and it's not simple to do it based on EVs. So you might expect different sources doing that and then have one interface for the user to make it easy for the user. Yeah, okay. And that so that, that deep expertise you've gathered is very much in the EV space at the moment, and that gives you a competitive advantage. Yes. Um, and a head start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so looking forward again, Charlotte, we're getting to that time of the podcast where we bring out the, the talking new energy crystal ball. Uh, you said it's hard to look forward to five years as an eternity, but, uh, you know, just like you had a strategy three years ago, I'm sure you have a strategy now. So let's pick, um, let, let's go for... 2025, three years' time, a bit closer. Um, what do you want to achieve in the next three years? Yeah, we definitely want to have more active cars, meaning that we want to smart charge and provide flexibility for more cars. So I expect the EVs to still be our focus. I expect we will enter into more markets. And I will expect that we provide... Uh, balancing services increasingly also to local grid owners. Okay. That's also a rising market with even uh, more work to do on the regulation side. Um, but um, there's an increasing need and there's been a lot of uh, trials and projects going on in England, for instance, and also mm. in Norway. We have participated in, and that's a, a very strong trend I could see and I will expect us to participate even more. Yeah, and I think in a way they go hand in hand. The more electric vehicles there are, 
the more challenge there'll be on local grids and the more need there'll be for that flexibility for local grids. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and your biggest challenge or biggest top two challenges in the next three years to, to get to that uh, future or vision you articulated? Um, there's always the, the speed of uptake. Can we manage to uh, gain all the active EVs that we would like to and mm-hmm. that we need to in order to provide these services? And uh, and how much adaption is necessary for entering new markets? Yeah, yeah. Uh, on that speed of uptake by customers, as we talked briefly before, you're reliant on your energy retailer partners to market that and engage their customers, get the customers using your technology. Is that, and do you worry about that? The ability of retailers to really explain this to their customers and engage their customers? Or from what you've seen, are you very comfortable that uh, retailers will be able to do this really well? Um, definitely here, there is also a change. The last year with the increasing prices and also increasing uh, volatility has created an awareness of uh, electricity prices that we have not seen before. Mm. So users know much more and then electricity resellers are also able to become more relevant for their customers. Yeah. So I, I think, however sad the background is, that for us it's a good thing that prices are now higher and there's increased volatility. Yeah, I guess people to be more careful, be smarter with their behavior. Um, yeah. Exactly. And they also realize it's really complex, so we need some technology to help us there. And you've got some. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so so I would say that's that's a good thing. Yeah. And however tough competitors are, they help us also educate the users and explain what is spot prices, what is smart charge, what is the flexibility. Yeah. Whereas before it was more or less on our shoulders. Now there are more parties in the market to do that. So I think actually it's a good thing. So it's still, yeah, it's still market creation time at the moment, but you'll have, there are now other people that work with you to help to create that market. It's not all for you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And Great. the learnings we have in, in more advanced markets like Norway, we use them in Denmark and uh, you have some great learnings in England, especially about local flexibility. And yeah. uh, and that is also useful to across markets. So, Well, I'm, I don't think anyone would question, Charlotte, that we're going to have a lot more EVs in the next years. And I don't think anyone would question that it's absolutely critical to the energy transition that they charge as smartly as possible. Uh, and doing this in a way that saves customers money couldn't be more relevant than it is today. Uh, so, yeah, I hope, well, I'm sure we'll speak again, Charlotte, on this podcast. I don't know whether it'll be three years or two years or four years, but um, thanks very much again for your time. Congratulations on your progress in the last three years. And, uh, yeah, look forward to welcoming you back again two, three, four years. Thanks a lot, Jan, and thanks a lot for the talk today. Okay, thanks everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed that episode and look forward to welcoming you back next week. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, 
then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com. Thank you.